But if you would, turn to Genesis chapter 6. As we continue our study in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, the book of how God started everything uh, aside from Himself, He was preexistent. He is eternal from before there was a beginning, from after there's an end, God is. He is the I am. But He's showing us how things started and things began on this planet in this universe uh, that we know so well. In this section, we're going to be covering this morning three chapters, and many people call this section Noah's Ark. But I'd like for us to think of a, of a different name for this. This is a very well-known account inside and outside the church. But sometimes familiarity with an account, an account that did happen, uh, God tells us that this did happen. God didn't say, let me tell you a story or a parable or an, an analogy or, or anything else like that. He said, this is what happened, and it happened the way it says that it did. Uh, but we can miss certain points. Uh, we can pick up lessons from other people because of the familiarity, because of uh, people wanting to, to keep this uh, real, to keep it relevant, uh, to keep it fresh. Um, but we can, we can miss the points that God teaches, even pick up wrong things, wrong lessons. And so I want to make sure that we don't do that, you know, that some people teach that the flood teaches God some things and changes God from, from the mean, angry, judgmental God of the, uh, uh, before the flood to being a little bit more patient, being a little nicer and, and more gracious after the flood. And, and that's definitely not a lesson in this section. Some people say, well, Noah is the hero here, and, and he stood firm in trials, and he was courageous, and, and, and you know, you need to be more like Noah and, and act courageously and, and stand up. Others will teach you, you need to wait for God to provide miraculously. Just, just sit and wait, and then God will do something miraculous. You and God can do the impossible, right? These are lessons that, that people teach from these chapters. There's a funny version that, that goes around on social media, the, the everything I need to know about life I learned from Noah's Ark. There are 11 lessons. We're not even going to look at all of them, but, you know, the first one, of course, would be don't miss the boat. Um, <laughs> for safety's sake, travel in pairs. Um, uh, remember that the ark, this was, this, I, okay, I have to, I appreciated this one. <laughs> remember that the ark was made by amateurs, the Titanic was made by professionals. That, <laughs> okay, okay, so there are more of those, and, and those are cute. <laughs> but is that really what this is about? Is that really what the Bible is for? Just pick up some lessons here and there and, and come up with some really cute sayings. I mean, is that all that we can do with the scriptures? Is that what God intended when he told us this is what happened. What do we do with this? As we teach our children about Noah and the ark and the flood, and as we teach each other and as we come to this, we have some very important lessons that God wants us to know, that God wants us to learn. One of the most important things we need to remember as we study this is that Noah is not the hero. Noah is not the hero in this story. Uh, who is always the hero of every uh, pericope and account and passage and section and story and piece and part of the Bible? God, the living God, right? Our Savior Jesus, the, the, He is the theme of all of it, and our great, living, powerful, good God is the central character. Now, Noah is involved here. He is a character, and he is important because the, the timeline of these events are based around his life, but Noah is not the main point or the main character. 
of chapters 6 through 8 of Genesis. So I, I know that this is going to seem like a little thing, but I want to encourage you not to call this section Noah's Ark. It would be a little bit like if I were going to tell you the story of how Jesus was born at Christmas time, and we called the section that we were going to study Mary's donkey. <laughs> it's kind of be missing the point, wouldn't it? <laughs> it kind of be missing the point, you know, that, that Joseph and Mary may have ridden a donkey down to Bethlehem, you know, so that Jesus could be born, but really, actually, the donkey doesn't appear in the Scriptures. That's another one of those familiar stories where we've picked up little pieces and parts that aren't there, uh, and that we can make a, we can, we can miss the point. So instead of calling this Noah's Ark, we could call it something different. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, something to notice about Noah that helps us to know that he's not the main character is he never says a word. In Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8 that cover the flood, into chapter 9, it's not till the end of chapter 9 that Noah even says a word. Uh, not only that, but Noah never acts independently from God. God speaks. God says, here's what you're going to do. Noah does it. Look at, if you will, chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Look at chapter 7 and verse 5. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Look down chapter 7, verse 9. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. Finally, look down at verse 16. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. See, Noah is only doing what God told him to do. Four times it's spelled out for our attention that God spoke and Noah obeyed. And that's important. So what is the main point here? The main point of this story, this account, what God says about Noah's ark, the main point is that God rightly judged the human race for sin. And it was a severe judgment. It was a terrifying and a complete judgment upon mankind and, and all of the earth. Yet he preserved the human race and animal life by his grace when he delivered Noah and his family in a relatively small number of animals, all by His grace. It was by His grace that we, mankind, still exist here on this planet. It happened this way. It was His judgment, and it was His mercy. It was His way for His glory. So it's the account of God's judgment of man's sin on the earth, yet with deliverance from that judgment by His grace. So instead of calling this Noah's Ark, we could call it God's judgment of sin, yet deliverance by grace. Now, that doesn't really roll off the tongue very well, does it? Noah's Ark is a little simpler. What I have learned in ministry is that I am absolutely terrible at naming things. <laughs> so, don't call it that if you, if you have something better. <laughs> um, but that really is a little bit more accurate about what this is about. Now, there have been many objections and challenges to this account of God's judgment of sin yet deliverance by grace. And we can't possibly cover all of the objections and the challenges this morning, but the one that we need to consider, because it's one of the most common challenges, is against God himself in this, and the main points that we've discussed. And the challenge is usually something like, oh, how could God do that to every person on the planet? How could he kill everyone and everything? And the assertion, the challenge is that, well, if God is good, how then could he do that? The assertion is correct. He is good and he is holy. 
as we have sung this morning, as his word teaches us, he is righteous, he is just, he is pure. So what people miss, what people don't understand when they ask that question, how could God do that, is the terribleness of sin. Sin is bad enough to deserve an entire world being wiped out. Sin is universal among humanity so that all should be and could be wiped out because of sin. That's why we took the entire Sunday just to look at eight verses at the beginning of chapter 6. And we're going to, Lord willing, cover three chapters this morning because the sin part really was that bad. That was what set this whole thing up. That's what caused all of this. Mankind, instead of reflecting the image of God, turned aside from Him, rebelled against Him, turned to sin, and incurred His wrath. We became sin factories, taking in His grace, taking in His provision, and just transforming that into sin and sin and more sin, rebellion against God. The wickedness of man became great in the earth. Why? Because everything He felt, everything He did, everything He thought was only sin continually. From the core of His being, every part was only evil continually. And we saw the effect that that had on God, that, that it, it grieved God from His heart. It grieved, it caused sadness, it struck God with sadness that He had even made man on the earth because of sin, because of what we had become, but He loved mankind. He loved His highest creation. He saw that everything had been good until the sin came in. It grieved God, stricken with sadness, because we were now in a terrible condition and because He knew that judgment would have to come for that sin. And that judgment, the righteous judgment for sin is terrifying, it's permanent, it's crushing, and it's frightening. But just as all of that is true in this account of a flood coming and, and wiping out life on the earth, this was only the physical judgment of God against sin. This was only physical Jesus says in John 5, there's, there's coming a time when everyone will be raised up out of the grave and all will be judged spiritually for a final time, for a permanent time, eternally. And so, yes, this was a terrible judgment on mankind because of sin, and it was right, but there's an even more terrifying, more final time of judgment coming because of sin. Sin really is our biggest problem. It's our deepest need, our continual enemy. Sin is our constant temptation. Our flesh is love. It's our spiritual and physical killer. And when we see sin as something less than that, then we question, why would God kill everybody on the planet except the eight that he saved? This account of the severity of the judgment and wrath of God makes no sense until we understand sin how bad it is. That's why we have chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. That's why we studied it together. So with those understandings now, let's walk through this together, the account of chapters 6, 7, and 8, and, and in three parts, let's walk through it together and then learn the lessons that God has for us based on those main points. Number one, chapter 6, verses 9 through 22, we see the preparation before judgment and deliverance. The preparation before judgment and deliverance. Now, in verse 8, we saw that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and we understand that that means that God gave Noah mercy and grace without being earned, without him working for it. Before he ever started building the ark, before we see that he was a righteous man in his generation, before anything happens, we see God giving grace to Noah. And see, Noah was a sinner just like everybody else. 
God didn't say everybody was full of sin except Noah, (laughs) right? Everyone was full of sin, but God gave grace to Noah. And if you have any doubts about whether Noah was a sin, um, Lord willing, we'll we'll cover chapter 9 next week, and you'll see that sin was carried right through into the ark and right out of the ark, and it continued on. But Noah was included as part of mankind that is a sin factory, but the only hope that Noah had, the only hope that we have is the grace of God to come to us, to forgive us when we respond to Him in repentance and faith. The same God who will judge, who will bring judgment, that strict and severe judgment, will give such an abundance of grace and mercy to forgive, to bring life, and to bring life eternally and in abundance if you will turn away from your sins and turn to Him to believe. In Noah's time, And all throughout the Old Testament, the belief was, I've got to believe that God's going to send the serpent head crusher. In our time today, we've got to believe that God sent that serpent head crusher, and his name is Jesus. And so we believe in him, and we have life. And so God gave Noah grace and mercy that he didn't earn. Notice the effect that it had immediately on Noah in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. That was the effect of God's grace on Noah. That is the effect of God's grace on every person that it comes to, to become different, to become changed, to to walk with God. That's the proper response and the necessary result. When God's grace comes to you, He changes you. Noah's different. He's separate. One of the ways that we see that is that Noah only has one wife, (laughs) We think, well, that's not so, well, it was a big deal then. (laughs) We've seen how how many times that's already started happening. It wasn't a given. The earth was corrupt. If you look at verse 11, three times the word corrupt is used. The, The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Sounds a little redundant, doesn't it? It's the Hebrew way of describing the fullness of their corruption. You know, the people probably didn't think it was all that bad. This is the way it's been, right? This is the way it goes. We get to do what we want whenever we want. Things are okay. We got them the way we want them. But in God's sight, it was corrupt. Corrupt means spoiled. It means ruined. It means all messed up. Or in today's language, it was all whack. <laughs> it was messed up. It was, they had ruined. They, had, they were destroying themselves and what God had made. And the world was violent. There was ruthless violence. Intentional destruction. Just we're, we're ruining everything we can. Something has to be done. So, somebody's got to do something about all of this mess, the corruption and the violence. You know, if somebody came into your house and, and robbed your house and, and took your, uh, stole your title your, your, from your home so that he, that person could just kick you out of your own home and took all of your stuff and, and took the keys to your car and kidnapped your family and, and did all that to you, you would say, I, I, something, somebody's got to do something. Something's got to be done about all this just happened. God says, I'm, I need to do something. I'm going to do something about this. This is not right. It's not just. So he does something. Verse 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Behold, he says, listen, Noah, I will destroy them with the earth. Now, if God's words had ended there, he would have been right. Right? God would have been right and just and holy and worthy of praise to wipe out all of the earth, all of life on earth, full stop, end, period, 
That's justice. That, that would have been justice. But verse 14, Noah make an ark. Verses 15 to 16, here's how, the dimensions, what to include. Verse 17, here's why you should build an ark, because I'm bringing a flood. Verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you. You and your family will be saved from the righteous and wrathful judgment of God against sin. That's grace and mercy. There's justice, and then there's grace. In verse 21, God says, take food with you. Now, I believe at least Noah and his family at this time were still eating just plants, vegetables. Chapter 9, verse 3, God will sanction eating meat, but they are to bring food with them. Everything else outside the ark will die, animals, birds, humans. You'll notice that fish are not listed, and hopefully you'll understand why (laughs) as the flood of waters come. Verse 22, again, God said all of this. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him because Noah acted obediently. He believed God. Now, all of this was in preparation for both the judgment and the mercy of God, his deliverance. Now, the size of the ark is given here, and in our measurements, the ark would have been longer than a football field and taller than a four-story building. Estimates vary, but between the three decks that it would have had, there was over 101,000 square feet of space. If you've ever been inside the Fries here in Prescott Valley, the Fries here is about... 33,000 square feet. So three fries shopping centers, (laughs) supermarkets, three of those was how big the ark was. Estimates say it could have carried the amount of cargo that 450 semi-trucks would have carried or 569 train cars. A train that long would have been over five and a half miles long. (laughs) So in other words, the ark was immense. It was huge. There's a full-size replica in Kentucky. I've not been. I I would like to go. But they work to answer many of the questions that are just ringing out in your mind right now. How did they fit all the animals? How did they feed them all? Um, How did they take care of the waste? I mean, you know, how did they get rainwater? How did they feed all of them? I mean, all of those questions. (laughs) The reason I bring that up and, and there are other sources besides the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. You, you know, there are plenty of other sources. The reason I bring that up is because there are answers. There are reasonable, possible answers to the questions that we have about how it could have been done, how it could have happened. And those are fine to ask and to answer. But again, don't miss the main point, God's judgment and deliverance. Noah prepares through obedience by God's grace while nobody else does. Now, there's some wisdom here in this first part preparing for God's judgment and mercy by God's grace through obedience. What we're not learning, brothers and sisters, here is that obedience brings God's grace. We're not, bring, we're not teaching and learning that you obey and then God gets happy with you and then saves you. But God's grace brings to you the deliverance from His coming judgment, and so then you begin to obey by believing in Him and preparing for the judgment and the salvation that is to come. The difference for us is that we don't know when that final day is coming. In Noah's day, Noah and his family knew that it was going to be within the next 120 years, as God had said. They knew that that was coming. We don't know when the end is coming. We don't know when our life will end. We only get this life to respond. So now is the time to prepare. Now is the time to respond in faith and repentance. Submit to Him 
love him, believe him, and then obey him. Your faith, what you believe, what you say about God will become real in your life by obedience. That's not legalism, by the way. We're not saying obey us. Obey what I say. Brothers and sisters, that's why I stand here behind the pulpit and I keep the Bible open and and we come back to the Bible continually because we don't want to hear what I think you should do. I don't want to hear what I think. I want to hear, you want to hear what the Lord would tell us, what the Lord has to say. So we obey because He has saved us, because He deserves our obedience, because He deserves our allegiance. There's something else to notice here. Uh, Sometimes people will make connections between the ark that saved Noah and Jesus. And some of those illustrations, some of those pictures can be good, they can be helpful, but in other ways we need to be careful. We need to be discerning about some things that we hear, like sometimes, well, Jesus is our ark. Well, Noah had to build the ark. He had to do it himself. His efforts produced the ark. In no way can my efforts or your efforts produce our salvation. Jesus alone is our salvation. He is our hope. Um, So be careful with the connections that we make. Uh, Again, um, our salvation in Jesus, he is not just our salvation. He is our comfort and our hope and our trust You know, for Noah and his family, it probably wasn't very comfortable. It wasn't a very peaceful time to be on the ark. (laughs) There's nothing here about a miraculous provision from God for food or for water. God says, you've got to bring some food. Make sure you pack that. (laughs) There was so much for them to do to feed the animals and water the animals and take care of the waste and, and make sure that they were taken care of and all the things they had to do. The ark is not like Jesus because when we obey Jesus, he says his commands are not burdensome, but a joy. So just be careful about the connections that we make. There was much preparation for God's judgment and deliverance. What's not here, but what we learn later in 2 Peter 2 is that throughout this time, Noah was preaching. It says he was a herald of righteousness. He was telling everybody, here's what's coming, here's what's going to happen. Guys, you've got to know And day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, where is it, Noah? What are you talking about, right? Noah preached. He lived differently. He walked with God. Enoch is the only other person in the Scriptures described that way, walking with God. But the entire time of building and the entire time of preaching, how many converts did Noah make? None. Not one person responded. You and I need to be faithful to give God's message of judgment and deliverance in Jesus Christ, whether anybody responds or not. So have you been preparing? How have you been preparing? Whether it's God's judgment of removing His restraining spirit, as we we have seen that, that God did here before the flood, as we see the effects of that even in the culture around us, the, the restraining spirit of God coming away so that people are reveling in sin and promoting sin like it's a good thing, calling what's bad good and calling what's good bad. Or you see His coming direct wrathful judgment at the end. Whatever kind of judgment that we see, how are you preparing? Not just to get your ticket out of hell, but your life. In a changed life that's different. I'm not sure we have time to cover this, but I think it's too important to skip. The only source of deliverance that Noah had was God's Word. God told him. He said, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you need to do. He obeyed. Even when what you hear, even when what we read in the Scriptures flies in the face of contemporary wisdom, 
the ideas of wisdom from, the man, from mankind around us, we need to hold fast to the Word of God. The church has become so gullible. I'm not talking our church necessarily, but I have been gullible. I have fallen for some of the things of the world. I've fallen for things that have come into the church from within, from without. Fads come and go. The Word of Faith movement, the Prayer of Jabez, the Seeker-Sensitive movement, the Church Growth movement, the Purpose Driven movement, these all came from fads that came and went, but they drew people away from the Scriptures. This is the next big thing. This is the next big thing. This came from within the church, and it took people away from the Scriptures, and now where has it left people? More recently, the fad is to follow after worldly ideas, worldly wisdom, psychology, psychiatry, you know, personality tests, trauma-informed care, EMDR, the theory, the theory, I, I say again, the theory of evidence-based treatment modalities. We fall for things that the Word of God tells us not to fall for, and we chase after these things, even, even falling behind the curve. We're not even very good at it in the church. Uh, things that the secular world puts out there and then says, no, never mind, that wasn't good, and the church is still using it. You ever heard of DARE programs, you know, just say no. Um, they've been discredited by the world, and yet some churches are still using DARE programs. Handwriting analysis, I want to find out what your personality is like. Write something, and then I'll, I'll tell you. And the world says, that's baloney. <laughs> the Enneagram. It's making a big splash in the church. In churches, the Enneagram is becoming more important to people. But the world has even said, you know what, never mind, that didn't work, it wasn't good, don't fall for that. The inkblot test, I mean, the same, the same bin of rubbish <laughs> is the, what do you see here <laughs> on this inkblot on the paper, right? <laughs> The Myers-Briggs type indicator test. I mean, all of these things that the world has said, look, yeah, never mind, it doesn't work, it's not good. And the church says, oh, no, this was good, I think I like this, let's use this as a, te- let's use this as a tool. <laughs> and we've become gullible, we fall for what's been discredited even by the world. We've de- we- and why do we do this? Because we've just set aside God's Word. God's Word says, here's what you need, here's what I want you to know. Here's what you need to believe. And we say, that was nice, God. I have my ticket out of hell. Now I'll take it from here, and I'll use whatever I think I want to find to use. Imagine if Noah fell for what the world said. Imagine if David or Elijah or Peter or Paul had fallen for what the world told them. And the key is not to be like Noah or David or Paul or any of those men, the key was not something found within them. The key was not look to the world. The key was listen to the Word of God and obey what it says. Turn away from the world. Turn away from yourself. Get rid of your own wisdom. Come to the wisdom, the knowledge of God. That's our preparation for judgment and for deliverance. Let's look at the second part, chapter 7. Perseverance through judgment and deliverance perseverance in chapter 7. God says to Noah and his family, get into the ark with seven pairs of animals. Wait a minute, chapter 6, he said one pair of animals, two by two, right? He said seven pairs of clean animals. The other in chapter 6, he said a pair of every kind, every sort. So there's no contradiction. The key is that Noah obeyed. No questions, no alternatives. God, what about, you know, I think I have a better idea. What if we, no, (laughs) no, Noah just did what God said. 
And here's where we begin to see the perseverance that Noah displayed and that we need to learn from. God says in verse 1, get into the ark. Why? Verse 4 says, because in seven days I'm going to send the rain and the flood will come and kill every living thing. Wait a minute. God, it's not for seven more days. (laughs) I mean, can't we just have like six more days of freedom before we have to get trapped on the ark? They get into the ark and day after day, for seven days, nothing happens. Not one raindrop falls. They wait all day long. You know, why, why, maybe things are going through their minds. Why did we do this again? I mean, is God really doing this? Why are we here? Why are we trapped in here? Can you imagine the ridicule coming from outside the ark? Day 7, the floods came. Verse 11 says, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Suddenly, from sitting there wondering what's happening to a thrashing back and forth, a violent movement rocking back and forth of water gushing out of the earth, falling from the sky, and as you know, nothing stops water. Mankind hasn't been able to figure out how to control water. When it's coming, when there's enough of it, nothing stops it, not mountains, not land, not walls. There's no source of refuge, no help. Everything gets completely wiped out. So as Noah and his family are on the ark, can you imagine the terror going through their minds? Oh, my goodness. The people that were around us, the people that we've been preaching to, the people that might have even given us a hand, hey, can you help me lift up this board for a second and, and get it up there? The people that were all around them for their whole lives are gone in a flash. Maybe they're screaming. Maybe it's happening so fast they don't even have time to scream, but no one and his family know what's happening outside. Every living thing is being destroyed as they persevere inside. That means puppies, right? And serial killers, grandmothers and thieves, mothers and fathers and children, right alongside adulterers and murderers and blasphemers. Everybody outside the ark was dying. None could get in and none could get out because verse 16 says, the Lord shut the door. it's not a a happy story right now. The flood continued for 40 days. It kept growing for 40 days. All the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered, it says. Verse 23, God was blotting out from the earth every living thing. Think about the waters of the great deep, the cataclysmic movements of land and the tsunamis that are happening and and the effect of the movements of land and and the rain that's falling and it, it, the waters prevailed for 150 days, it says, and many believe the 40 days were part of the 150 days. Chapter 8, verse 3, it says that it was another 150 days that it took for the waters to subside, and verse 6 says they had to wait another 40 days until they could see the tops of the mountains. They had to wait another almost two months after the ground was dry before they could get out of the ark. But note the perseverance, the endurance. And it was brought about by the trust in the Lord. Thankfulness to the Lord. Noah and his family were in the ark, and the ark rose up, and they were saved while everybody else perished. And they had to know that, you know, that should have been them too. If not for God's grace, it would have been them Also, this was universal. God's assessment of mankind was it's full of sin, all of it, every bit, every person, all of it, all the time. His his judgment here was universal. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. It goes on to say every living thing, multiple times, multiple times, every living thing was blotted out, was washed off, destroyed. 
Church family, that is going to happen again when every living thing will be destroyed, when the earth itself will be destroyed. And every human being will stand before God and will be judged because of their sin, and no one will have any hope of rescue or excuse, nothing to save them. God's wrath will come faster and more powerfully and more unavoidably than any flood of waters. The only hope that any person will have is Jesus Christ, the Jesus of the Scriptures, the Jesus that we worship, that we sing to and about, the Jesus that we observe His death, His resurrection. the Jesus who was perfect in all his ways, the only human being who was not a sin factory. He laid down his life to pay the penalty that I deserve because of my sin and every other sinner who who is going to turn to him to believe in him, Jesus paid the penalty and he gave over his righteousness to us, to the glory, to the pleasure, to the acceptance of his Father. And we persevere in that deliverance. Are you persevering? Are you holding fast to the Lord through Jesus Christ? Are you holding on to His Word that He's given to us? Noah and his family did that. Before they could see the waters, before any of the waters came, they held fast to the Lord. They believed and they acted on that belief. As the waters came and as things got really bad, they held firm. And as they waited in that ark for over a year on a a boat, (laughs) they held fast fast, and they believed. And they weren't through it yet. Just because they were on the ark didn't mean that they were done yet. What if it capsized? What if it, what if it broke apart? What if, what if they were feeding some of the animals and they got gorged or they got trampled? Or I mean, anything could happen. They stayed on the ark in trust and obedience to God. That's our lesson as well. Persevere. Stand fast. Hold fast. Obey. Do what we're called to do no matter what anybody says, no matter what anything, anything that happens all around us or within us. Jesus said it was going to be hard, and He said it was going to happen suddenly, that His judgment will come again. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's what Jesus said. People may have it the way they think they want it. They may be basking in all of the glory of all of their sin and and, and accepting it and and holding it up as a good thing for you and for, for me. And to your flesh, to my flesh, it will be appealing. It will draw us. It will, it will take us and want us to, to come away from Jesus you know, this is, this is why the questions come up. Oh, yeah? Where's the ark now? <laughs> Where did all the water go? How did they do this? What about that? How come this? What, what, all of, again, all of those things can be answered, but it's not the questions that can't be answered. It's the question that can be answered. Why did God do this? Because of sin. Because it was right. And it will be right when God does it again at the end. It will be just. So persevere, brother and sister. Continue. Don't don't fall for the distractions. Don't fall for what would draw you away, the temptations, the doubts. Hold fast, hold firm. But even when you fall, even when you even when you doubt, and you feel like uh, you know I, I don't know maybe maybe I I don't know the Lord. He's he's holding on to you. He's got you in his hand. The Lord Jesus holds you in his hand. The Father himself holds you in his hand. And he will not let you go. He's shut you in. 
can't get out. Persevere through judgment. Whatever judgment you see happening, whatever judgment is coming, persevere in the deliverance that you have in Jesus. Keep preaching that message that has saved you and that has changed you and that is changing you. Keep preaching that. Even if nobody responds, we persevere. There's a third part, a final part for this morning, the praise for judgment and deliverance. In chapter 8, there's praise. God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah. That doesn't mean God was going along and, oh, I forgot. (laughs) I got him out there on the boat. I got to take care of them. No, remembered means tender care, the tender care for his creation. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Have you heard that before? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The the Lord acted for the good of Noah. He He took action toward Noah and his family for his good because of a promise that God had made. So he starts to remove the waters that flooded the earth. Comparing chapter 7 with chapter 8, Noah and his, ark, and his family were on the ark for over a year. Every day looking for, hoping for the day when they could get back off of the ark. They could get back onto the, onto the ground. One day in chapter 8, verse 4, the ark strikes the ground. It stays there. It says in the mountains of Ararat. Where are those? We don't know for sure. People say, look, we know where the mountains of Ararat, we know which mountain is called the Mount Ararat, and the ark is on there because we've got some shapes that look like this and that, and, and we just need to go prove it. No, we don't need proof. <laughs> we have proof. The Word of God tells us that this happened. Whether we find some old wood, whether we find some old evidence, some, some fossils, whatever we're looking for, the, the proof that we need is here, is given to us, because God has told us. Our hope is not in finding what the world would call evidence. <laughs> we may find it, but that's not where our hope is. Three months later, the tops of the mountains are seen. Forty days later, Noah sends out the raven and then the dove. Now, people assign various meanings for the birds and what they did. The raven was just a really hardy bird. If it can grasp onto anything, it will. It doesn't, it doesn't care. So it it left and it it stayed out there. The dove, which is a little choosier, didn't find a clean, dry place, so it came back. Seven days later, Noah sends it out again, and it comes back carrying an olive leaf. Seven days later, he sends it out and never sees it again. What this was was signs that the day was approaching. Again, they didn't know how long. They didn't know when they could get out. They didn't know when they were going to be released again, when they would get out of the ark, but they saw the signs coming. The signs are there. The day is approaching. But they didn't act. They didn't get out until God said, now, now's the time. We see no struggle or impatience or lack of trust. We do what we've called, what you've called us to do, God. We're going to stay here even when it's hard, even when we just really want to get going. We really want you to call us out. We're staying here until you say we're finished. That's wisdom in this part. It's going to be hard as we see the day approaching for the Lord to return. But the Lord calls us to do what he's called us to do, to, to love him, to love the people around us, to, to serve, to, to grow in holiness, all of that. That's what he expects us to do. Verse 13 says the ground is dry, but again, after that, it takes 56 more days for the Lord to say, okay, now you can get out. What's the first thing that Noah does as he gets out of the ark? What's the first thing you would do if you've been trapped on this ark with all these smelly animals for over a year? You'd probably run out of the ark, kiss the ground. Yay, we're saved, we're done. This is great. I need to get some fresh food. I'm tired of the food that we've had for over a year. I need to get some stuff together. I got a family here. I need to build a house. We need to find all this. No, 
worship, praise. That's what Noah does. The first thing he does is he gets out of the ark. Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings. Would that be true for you? Is that true for you? You know, the first thing I need to do, the world tells us, the first thing you need to do is take care of me. It's all about me, right? First, I'll take care of me. Um, you know, I can't get to church today. I need a break for me. I, I can't get to Koinonia Group. You know, it's just been so busy. I need to take the day off for me. Read the Bible, go to prayer. You know, those are good things, and, and I'll get to that, right? I'll get to those things when I have time, but right now, I need to take care of me. But our love for the Lord comes first. Our love for others comes next. God says, you're going to do fine loving yourself. What we need to learn how to do is love others like we love ourselves. We need to learn to love the Lord before ourselves, even before others. Noah gets out. He was thankful. He gave praise. He gave worship and thankfulness to the God who had delivered him by his grace. And in this act, God is pleased. He promises never again to curse the ground because of man. Is that because the sin problem was solved? No. Did that fix our issue? No. Look at verse 21. I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's the same thing he said before. (laughs) Sin is still with us and in us. Noah and his family brought that, that, that sin that disease, they brought it with them in the ark and it continues to us today. But Jesus removes your sin. Jesus cleanses you so that you are pure before the Father. The ark couldn't do that, but Jesus does that. He makes us pure. The ark couldn't solve the problem of the heart, but Jesus can and he does. Gaze on the goodness and the, and the grace of God in verses 21 and 22. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. He is going to strike down everything again, but not as he did at that time, not with water. While the earth remains, God says, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Even though our sin will not cease, his grace will not cease. He'll allow us to continue on this earth. He'll be good to us. He'll keep providing for us everything that he says in the beginning that he did. I've given you the world for food. I've given you dominion over the earth. God says that's going to keep happening. Even when you take God's goodness for granted. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, the people today, he's he's talking about people in his day and people in our day. People all around us deliberately overlook. They make a conscious decision to reject God's judgment in the flood. They say that didn't happen. And I got all these reasons why it couldn't happen. But the reason that it did happen was because of sin. Verse 7 of Second Peter 3 says, By that same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. It's the same word of God that talks about the flood, that talks about the coming fire, God's judgment. Both of those are rejected by the world because both of those are in the word that they reject. Christian, don't reject the word of God. Hold firmly to it. Believe it. This is what God has said about himself and about us and our world. That's how Peter closes that section. What sort of people ought we to be now? Holiness and righteousness. That's what Noah did when he came out of the ark. He prepared for judgment and deliverance. 
He persevered through it, and then he praised God for it. So let's sum up just a few lessons in your notes here, lessons. The first part here is see sin the way God sees sin. See it the way he sees it. You know, there are um, ideas out there that our biggest problem is is trauma. Our biggest problem is our DNA. Our our biggest problem was our environment. Our parents messed us up. (laughs) Whatever the answers the world says, God says sin is that bad. Sin is worse than any of that. Sin's what caused all of that. This is the truth of what God thinks about sin and how it will be dealt with. The end, the destiny of mankind is to fall under God's wrath. That's what's expected and that's what's right. So don't love sin, brother and sister. Don't love sin. Don't hold on to it. See it the way God sees it. Next, fear God for his sovereignty over creation. Fear God. Well, you know, pastor, that means just have reverence, have respect. It does mean that, but it also means to have a healthy fear of the power of this God who can bring waters across the entire planet and ruin everything because it was already being ruined by sin. Our our thoughts of God should overwhelm us, overwhelm our thoughts of ourselves, overwhelm our thoughts of anything else. Fear God for His sovereignty over creation. Next, praise God that He saves by grace. Praise God that His salvation comes to us not because we deserve it, not because we can do enough because we never could, we never can. He saves by grace. Notice that it wasn't Noah's idea. This, this wasn't Noah's dream. You know, I'm going to follow my heart, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to follow my dream to build a boat, and then, oh, you saved me, and oh, look how God works. No. The, the diagnosis of our problem comes from God, and the solution comes from God. Praise God for His salvation and His grace. Thank God for His goodness is the next one. Thank God for His goodness and grace to all life despite our sin. You know, this is what, He could do this every week. (laughs) He could do it again, just wipe everything off because we're all still in that same position of sin. But by His grace, He doesn't. He doesn't give us what we deserve. That's grace. That's mercy, not giving us what we deserve. He's in grace, He gives us what we don't deserve. Finally, trust in the sufficiency of God's Word. Just trust what His, His Word says. Don't fall for fads or world solutions. Trust the Lord Jesus. He is the living Word of God. He has much to say not just about how to not go to hell, but how to live, how to work through pain, how to work through trauma, how to work through difficulty, how to overcome what happens. We have a good God. Father, we praise You that You are good. God, so much of the world would read this story and question your goodness, but Lord, it was goodness because it took such a long time. You were patient, your word says. God, you sent Noah to preach so that people would know and that that they would have time to repent. They didn't, God. Lord, I pray that that would not be true of any person here. Father, I pray that you would speak through us, use us for your glory. God, encourage your people. Help us to persevere, to endure. Lord, to look forward to the return of our Savior so that we can be home with you. We praise you. We sing your praises. We speak your praises. We pray to you and praise you, God, because you're worthy. You're deserving of all of that and more. We thank you in Jesus' name.